Isaiah 9, 1-7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The peoples walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They received, sorry, they rejoiced before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our great God, with this passage now open before us, and as we enter into the Advent season, we pray for a revelation of Jesus Christ, that in these words that were written so long ago, we would have insight and an encounter with the words that these person describes. Lord, we want to meet Jesus today. We don't want to just learn about him. We don't want to just know more things, but we want to encounter his presence. And so as we look at this passage, please open our hearts, our minds to receive from you. We pray all this together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, you've heard a few times already that today is the first Sunday of Advent. This is the season when Christians the world over prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And during this Advent season here at RCL, we're gonna be looking at passages from the book of Isaiah. And here's why. A couple months ago, as I was preparing for this Advent season, I discovered that the book of the Bible that talks about joy more than any other book is the book of Psalms. And that makes sense. If you know anything about the book of Psalms, they are songs that describe people's deepest emotions. And so it's not that surprising that the Psalms talk a lot about joy. But here's something I discovered that was surprising. The second most talked about joy in the Bible, the book that has the most about joy after the Psalms, is the book of Isaiah. And that is surprising. Because Isaiah is a prophet who's writing during one of the darkest moments in Israel's history. This was a time of captivity. This was a time of war. This was a time when everything was turned upside down and the future was totally uncertain. This was a time of gloom and distress. And it's in Isaiah's book, more than any other prophet or leader in Israel's history, that joy is one of the main themes. So Isaiah is telling us something about joy, not instead of sorrow, but joy in the midst of sorrow. Joy that coexists with deep suffering and pain. And Isaiah says that the 
cause or the reason for that joy is none other than the person God is going to send to bring his salvation into the world. And so that's the kind of joy I'm interested in. Not a shallow joy that depends on pleasant circumstances, but a deep joy, an almost unshakable joy that is with you even in the midst of the most unpleasant and difficult circumstances. And that's the joy that Isaiah talks about. That's the joy that Isaiah will say is possible for everyone and for anyone who understands that to you, a child has been born. For you, a son has been given, as we just saw in this passage. And so, my prayer for us, my prayer for you, my prayer for our city is there in verse three. We just read it a few minutes ago, that this would be a season in which our joy is increased that we would in the midst of dark nights and long days, in the midst of sorrow and heartbreak, because you know, for many, Christmas is an awfully hard time of year, that in the midst of the reality of life, which is often challenging, joy would become increasing. And we think Isaiah is the place to look. So we're gonna start today in Isaiah chapter nine, verses one to seven. If you care about this sort of thing, the title for today's sermon is Light Has Dawned. We get that right there from verse two. A light has dawned on a people living in deep darkness. And so the outline for today's sermon, I wanna ask the question, where does this light dawn? How does the light dawn? And how can it dawn in your life? So where does the light dawn? How does it dawn? And then how can that happen in your own life? So first, where does the light dawn? So look with me if you would, verse two of our passage. Isaiah writes this, the people who were walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of deep darkness, literally the death shadow is what that is in the Hebrew. Those living in the death shadow, on them a light has dawned. Now, Isaiah is describing light breaking into the darkness, but light and darkness here are metaphors. Light is a symbol of life and of joy and of peace. And darkness is a symbol of gloom and despair and death. And verse one tells us where this light breaks in. Notice he says, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now, it's possible even right now that you're sort of going, what is he talking about? Zebulun and Naphtali and the Galilee, what's going on? The reason why these verses don't shock us, the reason they don't land on us with force is because we don't know that much of the topography of ancient Israel. But if you're an ancient person reading these verses and you hear Isaiah saying, that when God's light breaks into the world, it's going to break in in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali? If you were to hear that, you would be stunned. You would be shocked and you would be filled with wonder. And here's why. Two things you need to know about the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. So the land of Zebulun and Naphtali is northern Israel. It's at the very top. And we know two things about those peoples, the people who lived in that area. The first is they were notoriously disobedient to God. 
So God had given his law, God had given his word, and it was those communities in the north that were always the first to rebel. They were always the first to say, God, we don't wanna do it your way, we're gonna do it our way. Even idolatry, this concept of putting other gods ahead of the real one, idolatry was introduced to ancient Israel in the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. So what you have here is a community of people who are notoriously disobedient, saying to God, we're gonna do it our own way, we don't need you. And the second thing, therefore, that we need to understand about those communities is they were always the first to suffer the most. Because one of the ways that God's judgment would come into Israel because of their rebellion was through the presence of an invading army. So Israel is disobeying God. They're not following him. So God allows judgment. God sends judgment. And one of the ways that judgment comes is a warring or an invading army. And whenever an invading army would march into Israel, do you know where they would always start? In the north the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And therefore, those people, the people who lived in those communities, were always suffering the most. They were always getting the brunt of the attack of the invading army. In other words, these were communities that were filled with shame, with suffering, with distress, and with gloom. And Isaiah says that one day God's light is gonna dawn one day salvation is gonna come. One day what seems like perpetual darkness is gonna burst into breaking light. And Isaiah says, and when that all happens, it's gonna start in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's gonna start with the people who are the least likely to deserve it and the people who suffer the most. You say, well, that's an interesting bit of history, but what does that mean for me? God wants to come to the parts and the places of your life where you have suffered the most. God wants to bring his salvation to allow his light to dawn in the places of deepest darkness in your story. That's what God is interested in doing. You say, yeah, but, but I don't deserve God's light. I don't deserve his healing or his salvation because look at all the terrible things that I've done. For some of you, you're filled with shame this morning. It's a sense that there's just something wrong with who you are. You feel like you're never getting it right. You're never following God enough. You're never living in the way that you should. Well, that's the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Others of you look at your own story and you say, there are always things happening to me that, that I don't choose and that I don't want and they feel like they're out of my control and they're suffering and despair. This could be decisions that you've made in your past that you regret. Maybe there are characteristics or behaviors that you engage in that you know you shouldn't, but you can't shake. There are relationships in our past that have cast a shadow over our lives. I mean, the list could go on. But this morning, we all have in our lives, in our hearts, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the dark places that we hide from everyone else, the parts of our life that we're afraid if they were ever exposed in the light, we'd be filled with shame. And God says to us today, those are the places where my salvation can break forth. Those are the places where I seek to bring renewal. In the least likely places and in the places of great hurt 
and deep suffering. That's what the prophet is declaring. On those living in the death shadow, a light has dawned. You are safe to bring to God the places and the parts of your life with the deepest hurt and the deepest shame. So that's where the light dawns. And now the question is, well, how does it dawn? How does God's light actually break forth into a person's life? And the passage tells us, not only does it come in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but it tells us how. Verses four and five describe a surprising victory. And verses six and seven describe the surprising hero. And that's always how God's light comes into a person's life. Surprising victory and surprising hero. So first, what do we mean by a surprising victory? If you look there at verses four and five, you'll see that Isaiah talks about the day of Midian's defeat. He talks about the burden being cast off and the rod of the oppressor being removed. What's he describing? He's describing a military battle. He's describing victory that the people experience in the presence of their enemies. But the language he uses tells us something about this kind of victory. It's there right at the beginning of verse four in the day of Midian's defeat. He's talking about something that had happened previously in Israel's history. And some of you know the story. There was a time when a people called the Midianites were oppressing Israel. They were warring against Israel. And so God raised up a deliverer, a man called Gideon. And Gideon was sent by God to bring salvation and bring deliverance. But the way in which Gideon would bring victory into Israel was very surprising. Because the Midianites had thousands and thousands of trained soldiers fit for battle. And Gideon only had 300 men. And they had no weapons. They only had torches. Lanterns, basically. And God says to Gideon, I want you to surround the camp of the Midianites, these thousands of trained soldiers with your 300 guys, and I want you to hold your lights in the air, and I want you to say, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. I just want you to shout your way in. And Gideon's like, that doesn't seem like a very good strategy. But God says, this is what I call you to do. This is what I'm asking you to do. Obey me. So Gideon and his men, they do that. And God, you can read about it, gives a surprising victory. And the Midianites are thrown into confusion and they flee the camp and Gideon and Israel are victorious. Now, what is that? That's an example of something only God can do. Bringing victory where there was not strength and there were not resources and there was no human ability to do so. And we're learning that this light dawning in the darkest places comes from God's activity, from something God will do that you can't do for yourself. A surprising victory and a surprising hero. That's what verses six and seven are about and that's really what the whole passage is about. That the way in which the light dawns, the way in which God's salvation brings victory is through the most unlikely hero possible. Verse six says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That alone should stop us in our tracks. That Isaiah is declaring the way God's purposes are gonna unfold in the world is through a birth of a child, a helpless, dependent baby. One author puts it this way, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. 
It's an astounding thought. And as we read the passage, we get some clues about the identity of this child. Who is this child that will be born, that will bring God's salvation? We're told, verse 6, the government will be on the shoulders of this child. This child is called Wonderful Counselor. That means they're the one who gives perfect, even supernatural guidance. This is the person you want to ask what to do with your life. The mighty God, the one that is stronger than all their foes, the everlasting father, a child is called everlasting father, the one who shows the utmost care, and the prince of peace, the one who has power but who advances not battle and bloodshed, but flourishing and harmony. And verse 7 then goes on to say this child is a king and extends his justice and righteousness forever. In other words, this child that's described is unlike any other child that has ever been born. And in reading these verses, the only possible conclusion that we can make is that this child is none other than God himself. This is no ordinary baby. This is a description of the very character of God. In other words, these verses describe what Christians celebrate every year at Christmas that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the child to be born. Jesus is the son who was given. And that baby born in a manger is none other than the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the mighty God, and the prince of peace. Now there are reasons, so many reasons why this is significant, but let me just give you one today. Earlier we talked about those deep places of pain and shame in your life those places where you feel like you're living in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, those places where you suffer repeatedly and you feel like there's no hope. In those places, God's light wants to break in. But here's what Christmas means. You see, if Christmas isn't true, if God didn't come into the world in the person of Jesus, then what that means is you're forced to face the darkness on your own. You have to deal with your darkness by yourself. But if Christmas is true, and if for you a son has been born, a child has been given, that means that God came to deal with what you could never deal with for yourself. He came to bear your darkness. He came to take your shame upon himself. He came to enter into your story, not so you could become your own hero, but realize you don't have the strength to do that. And he's the hero. You see, Christmas makes all the difference in the world. It's not a myth, it's not a fable. If it were, it's not good news. But if it's true, if really a child was born and a son was given who is God himself, that means there's somebody with you in your darkness. So that leads us to ask finally, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, well, how does this light dawn in your life? How can those parts of deep pain and shame be healed by the light of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that comes from the very words of Jesus himself. Not here in Isaiah, but later in Matthew chapter four. Let me read to you a couple of verses from the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. On leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. He did this to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, 
the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, why is this significant? In Matthew chapter four, we see the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. This is the start of the whole thing. He's just beginning to preach and to share and to do his public work. And where does he start? Where does Jesus kick off his public ministry? It's in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's as if God is saying, I told you I'd keep my promise. Those places that are filled with suffering, those places filled with darkness, that's where I'm gonna start my healing work. That's where I'm gonna start the work of renewal. And so Jesus begins his ministry there in those places and saying in those places, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that's how the light dawns in your life, grace and repentance. So as we close, just let's meditate for a minute on those two ideas, grace and repentance. The essence of the Christian message is grace, that God has sent his rescue and his love for the undeserving. And we see that so clearly here. Jesus is preaching in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. If God was interested in coming to people who were already put together, who were moral and obedient and who were polished, he would have never chosen this place. But he came to the people who were the most undeserving and had the most brokenness. And that's where he launches his healing work. And that's what God wants to do to you today. Some of you right now are feeling and saying, I I don't deserve God. I don't deserve his healing. I don't deserve a relationship with him. And that's the point. None of us do. It's grace. It's God's rescue and love for the undeserving. And so that shame and that sense of alienation that you feel, all Jesus wants is for you to give it to him. To just surrender it. And to say, I don't even know where to begin. Take it. See, Christianity is a message of grace. And Jesus also says, repent, repent. Now, repentance is a really important theme in the Bible, but here's what it means. Turn to Jesus. Sometimes when we hear the word repentance, what we think is change behavior. Stop doing one bad thing and start doing a good thing. But that's not repentance. Repentance isn't changing behavior, behavior modification. Repentance is turning from self to God. Repentance is saying, I don't have strength and resources in myself, and it's flinging yourself on Jesus Christ. That's repentance. And Jesus is inviting us today to quit trying to do everything ourselves, to recognize that you are not self-sufficient and you're not your savior. But for you, a child has been born. For you, a son has been given. Turn to him. Look to Jesus. One author in a great commentary on this passage puts it this way. Let's look at Jesus. As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. So let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. 
And as the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome his rule in our lives. Let's do that now as we pray and come to the table. Our God, thank you for Isaiah chapter nine. Thank you that joy is possible in and through Jesus Christ, even in the hardest and darkest moments. And so now as we've considered how your light can break forth into our lives, into our city, we pray now that by the power of your spirit, you would accomplish this, that you would reach into our hearts, that you would reach into our lives and bring healing, bring renewal, nourish us as we come to this table. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.